Welcome to the Optimal Body Podcast. I'm Doc Jen. And I'm Dr. Dom. And we are doctors of physical therapy, bringing you the body tips and PT pearls to help you begin to understand your body, relieve your pains and restrictions, and answer your questions. Along with expert guests, our goal of the Optimal Body Podcast is to help you discover what optimal means within your own body. Let's dive in. I am so excited to welcome our next guest, Sam Chacha. Not only is she a super good friend, but she is someone who's so knowledgeable. And I know I talk about all my friends all the time, but truly they are some of the smartest humans and the reason why I really want you to hear from them and learn from them. So Sam Chacha is a trainer by day and a physician assistant by night. Truly this woman is in the ER in the, you know, Western medicine. And really she talks a lot about health and then how it relates to training and how we can utilize this. We're going to go into her expertise on kettlebells, but also on breath work, on the body, on how all of this plays a role together. And I'm really excited because I know you're going to take so many gems away from this human. Go look her up on Instagram right now. She is at S-C-I-A-C-C-I-A. I promise you, when it comes to kettlebell form, a lot of people like to throw kettlebells around, but it's really dangerous if you don't know what you're doing with them. Sam is an amazing follower and an amazing educator on Instagram. So go check her out, and I hope that you really enjoy this podcast. Hey, so excited to have my friend Sam on the podcast. We've been friends for like seven years now. (laughs) It's been a little while. And I'm just so excited because one, not only is she an incredible, incredible trainer, educator, that's really what I think of you as like beyond just a personal trainer, you're an educator into the body. And I learned so much from you myself, but also you work in a hospital. And so we get to get kind of all points of view into health and wellness in the body. And I'm really excited to take it from that aspect and guide people in. Yeah. I mean, it's such a pleasure to be on here. And I always just love like, talking to you, whether if it's on podcast or just as a friend. And I think it has been like seven something years. I was thinking back, I was like, we were young when we met. But you know, it's such a, it's, it's so cool to see how our like friendship has developed into this and, you know, just flourish in this beautiful, beautiful uh, friendship. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> um, but really, I like to say, you know, beyond education. So I hope that I kind of said your Instagram handle in the intro and I hope that people go and look at it because again, like I said, educator beyond personal trainer. Mm-hmm. Uh, but beyond that, like what is truly your purpose in doing that and even putting that out and what are you trying to create for people? Yeah. So, you know, my biggest thing that I want to get across to people that follow me and my clients, my friends, whoever it is that, you know, health and wellness goes above and beyond just getting your workout in for the day, but it's actually a lifestyle change that, you know, movement really is medicine. I know it's more or less a cliche saying, but it really is. There's so many things that you can do um, with movement, your breathing, and just kind of being active that's going to play into your general health. So like, you know, you're talking about inflammatory states, you're talking about joint pains, all this stuff. I see a lot of it in the emergency room. One of the leading causes of emergency room visits is low back pain, you know, and think about all this stuff that you talk about and do with your programs, Jen, of like getting rid of that pain just by movement, you know? And my biggest thing is just saying, no matter what you do, just do something, just move in a fashion and in a way, because 
that alone is therapy. And it will, I know that it will prevent you from having to be on all these medications and being, seeing all these doctor visits because I see it all the time in the ER. And I just wish I try to get to my patients and say, Hey guys, if you did this, this, and this, yeah, you have to put work into it, but it's going to save you dollars, going to save you time and energy down the line, you know? So that's my biggest thing. And I always say like, see me now, do movement now, get strong, get healthy. So you don't have to see me in the emergency room. Like, I don't want to see you there. Like invest your time now. So you don't have to worry about that down the line. So I love that you have that kind of dual purpose in how you practice of practicing clinically and then also practicing in more of an applied sense of just fitness and wellness. Um, And I really respect one, all health professionals, because I know what it takes to go through the schooling and to go through that type of education, but also the health professionals that do have that applied practice. And where does that passion for you come from to continue digging into movement and learning how that fits in for you? And why is that important for you as a part of the whole picture of how you practice? Yeah, totally. You know, I realized after finishing school, um, a grad school to get my physician assistant degree, I realized that that degree was just the baseline to not kill people, right? <laughs> but you have to go above and beyond that to really learn how to help others. And as I started practicing medicine more and more, all the patients I've seen, and especially traveling overseas, honestly, because they don't have the resources of all the medications and x-rays and stuff that I need to teach them preventative stuff. I need to teach them things because they can't afford to go to the hospitals or they don't have access because they're in the middle of the bush in Africa. So I realized through my patients in Africa that they, they need this or literally they will not survive. And I took that and pretty much placed it into my practice here in New York City because it's the same thing applied here. But, you know, we do have access to resources if we need, but we don't have to necessarily. So um, with that knowledge and experience, I realized that I can do this with, um, you know, with my clients in the gym as well as in the emergency room. And uh, pretty much that's kind of where it all stemmed from was just really experience overseas and realizing that not everyone has access to this and we don't necessarily need it all the time. Or we, we maybe abuse um, the system a little bit than what we don't need to do. So, Yeah, that. I want to dive into that. Because, yeah. you know, what does that even mean to abuse the system? And what do you really see? Because I think what's, what's hard is that we are conditioned in a certain way to utilize the system to its maximum. Right. And that means that I'm going to get pills consistently that are going to help me fix and solve the solution of whatever I have going on. And so what is it that you see that is abused the most within the system? Yeah, it's um, numbing and masking the pain. We don't really get down to the cause of it. So we just come to me in the ER and say, I have back pain. I have this, this and this. And I truly, really try to get down to the diagnosis, in, even in the emergency room. And um, the biggest, you know, response I get back was, "Okay, you want me to see a physical therapist, or you want me to see like a movement specialist? But where's my prescription?" And that's just that mindset of, you know, I just want something to cover it up, you know. But I don't want to put the work in, and I don't want to you know, do what I need to do to help figure out what's going on. 
And that makes me very sad. It makes me upset that this is what the mentality and mindset is. And then you talk about the abuse. It's more or less you just rely on me as a physician assistant, rely on the healthcare system as a crutch. So you don't have to kind of put the work in because you can just easily go to the ER and get your Toradol shot or go to the ER and get your Percocet, you know, and, and then you just take that until it wears off and then you come back and do it again and turns into this very vicious, unhealthy cycle. Yeah, I th- that's an inter- interesting thing to bring up and even start to dive into because I think every healthcare professional like myself included goes through this period where we start practicing and we realize that there's this mentality amongst people and initially we want to say, oh, people do look for this easy solution out. They're looking for that quick fix. And you can disagree with me on this, but I think that in a sense, we incentivize that behavior early on and it just kind of teaches people to look for those solutions first. And then once we've kind of learned that behavior, it's tough to convince somebody to put in that effort and do otherwise. So first, do you, do you disagree with me on that first part at all? And second, how do we motivate people when they get to that place of this is what I want and I'm going to have it? Or I'm going to go to somebody else. Like, how do we start to motivate those people to take some ownership and do some things? Yeah, totally. No, I totally agree. And I really think it stems, it starts with us, right? Of not giving in because it's very easy to just give them a prescription and have them shut up and leave versus actually talking to them about the reasoning of why they should do this X, Y, and Z that's going to help them in the long term. So, you know, I really think as healthcare providers, doctors, physician assistants, anyone who has the ability to prescribe needs to be aware of just don't do it because it's easier. And I get it. I've been there. I've known. I have patients that yell at me who report me to blah, 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 because I won't write them narcotics. But I know it's they don't need it and it's not, you know, going to help them. And then when I try to explain about, you know, getting therapy and doing this, this and this it goes in one ear and out the other. So what I have found that has helped is actually showing them how it can help. So for example, someone comes in with acute torticollis, which is basically like neck pain and neck spasms that you get, and they want their volume, their muscle relaxer. I was like, okay, cool. But how about let's try breathing? So I'll take them through an actual breathing like set and show them right in the emergency room and say like, Hey, did that help calm your neck? Like, oh, wow, it did. Like, see, it works, you know? So you have to, going back to, you know, as a teacher and educator, you have to teach them and show them what to do, how to do it for them to take it home, you know? And I know it's the same thing in the physical therapy setting too. You have to. Otherwise, if they don't see the the benefits of it, then they're not going to stick with it. They're going to keep popping those pills and be like, oh, this is that immediate reef. But like, hey, Breathing is immediate relief. We can manipulate our nervous system through breathing. If we can show them that, literally, you know, that clicks, done. I think that's the first start of helping him. You know, in my career in emergency medicine, it's quick, in and out, in and out. And you don't have time to tell them it's easy. Here, take this pill. Here, do this. But I'm I'm telling you that, you know, I I do it with my patients and it takes what a matter of a couple minutes. You have that time to spare to save them from uh narcotic abuse, to save them from just keep popping the pills and whatnot. So that's my that's my opinion and take on it. Yeah, that encompasses what I like to say to patients or to other providers. Like you can't fake feel and you can't fake feel within your patients or your clients. And if you can get them to feel something, especially in one session or in an acute sense or in five minutes mm-hmm. for a pain or a symptom that they haven't been able to touch, you can really empower somebody. And then they're like, okay, I think I want more doc. Like, 
what what other tricks you got in your bag? <laughs> you know, knowledge is power because the the patients that I actually take time to teach them and educate them on, like this is the reason why you feel this way. This is how we can fix it, and this is what we're going to go through now. The appreciation, the thank you, the understanding is that much more better versus like I don't know who you are. You know, like this was a terrible experience and I'm never coming back to the ER because no one really talked to me or they didn't do anything for me. So it just comes back to you have to educate and making sure that what you're saying is, you know, that they're digesting and understanding it because you can say and teach all you want. They don't understand and digest it. It's might as well, you know, it's a waste of time. Exactly. I mean, that's the greatest thing that you can give someone. And especially the fact that you do that in the ER, that's honestly incredible. I was like getting chills as you were talking. Because that is the number one thing. Like people say, educate, educate. Well, education is a lot of places. But until someone feels it, why are they going to implement it? And that's what I say to clinicians as well when they are like, oh, well, the client just didn't do their exercises. Well, they didn't do it because you didn't make it feel why it would be beneficial. So unless you make someone feel it, they're not going to do it. So that is... Honestly, just so huge. And just like you're saying, like I got chills again when you said you're saving them. You could be saving them from being addicted to narcotics. Mm-hmm. Like how rampant is that in our society that that mm-hmm. happens and we feel the need to have to rely on these things? Do you have a lot of like patients that are coming in with these issues? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's not even like narcotics is its own beast, but it's just addicted to pain relief. It's addicted to NSAIDs. I know that Tylenol Motrin is going to give me this relief, but you have to remember they have side effects as well. And it just goes back to that neurological addictive behavior, no matter what it is. Like, yeah, there is an actual chemical reaction that happens when you take narcotics and all this stuff. And it does create a physical addiction, but there's also a mental aspect to it. So it doesn't matter what medication, what pill that still can be addictive. So breaking that habit is also important, you know? Mind you, the side effects of taking, you know, Advil all the time, GI ulcers and bleeding and all that stuff, like we forget about those things. You're just like, oh, pop a Tylenol, it's over the counter, it can't be that, or it can't be that harmful. Oh, but if you take over four grams a day, yeah, you go into liver toxicity and failure. Did you know about that? No, right? Because no one tells you unless you read the small print of the bottle, which I, you know, rarely people will. So. It goes above and beyond that, you know, and it, it starts with us because people look up to us. I realized that as I practice more and more that my opinion matters, my value, whatever I say to my patients really matters. When I first started, I was like, I'm a little kid, like who is going to listen to me and realizing that the position I'm in and the authority that I'm in, like people do like take heed to that. And we as providers have to take that to heart and what we say and what we do, people look up to us and we have to be the trailblazers of this. So. Yeah, that's super powerful. And I mean, just I practiced briefly in rural Minnesota and just kind of like you're talking about, like not a lot of people were addicted to a specific drug, but you knew a lot of your patients coming in had an addiction issue to something. A lot of it was some sort of drug or chemical, but like mm-hmm. you said, it could be anything. It could be smoking. It could be drinking caffeine. It could be um, whatever it may be. We're compensatory beings and finding the compensations that are in- internally drive changes in our physiology is what we should be teaching and educating in and looking for rather than those external things that help us buffer the stress. And now I kind of want to move more into this fitness side that you're in mm-hmm. and talk a bit into, I mean, 
you're huge into moving with kettlebells. You love moving with kettlebells. You talked about breath work a little bit. Like, why? Where do you think kettlebells work in for you, and why is that something you like working with so much? Yeah. So you know, starting with kettlebells, it was with a gym that I was working for years ago, and you know, I taught a lot of it there, and I didn't know how to teach it properly. So I took a certification and this certification literally changed my world because it really broke down, not just like with kettlebells, just movement patterns and realizing how important it is and what change, you know, happens in human body when you actually get proper movement patterns down because it prevents people from being in pain. It prevents people from, you know, like these chronic issues that we have. So once I learned about that, and then I'm just a very like, perfectionist OCD slash kind of person. And it's such a highly technique skill with kettlebells. I just latched on. I'm like, I love this technique. I love to be able to teach it. And ultimately, if I'm able to break something highly complex down, like a kettlebell clean or a kettlebell snatch, whatever it is, then I know that I can have my clients be better movers because they're not only going to learn the hinge pattern to start you off in this swing or the clean, whatever it is, but they're going to learn the finite details of every single movement that's involved in that. So I really enjoyed doing that and just kind of grown like a niche um, for that. And adding in breath work, this is something that I would say the past few years that I've really gotten into of realizing the importance of breathing with movement. And I never actually said this before, but it was through yoga that I realized that when I started doing yoga years ago, I was that person that was going through movements, barely breathed, and I was dying. But when I started practicing and realizing, oh, this is much more enjoyable when I actually move with my breath, that I can actually do it. So that was like my first step of realizing how important breath is with movement. And then I just started taking that and applying with everything else. So when I started going for my heavy deadlifts, PRs and whatnot, I would manipulate my breath. And that would cr- literally make or break my, um, my lift. Uh, one example was my weighted pull-ups. I was training for a 24 kilo, which is a 56 pound pull-up. And um, I had 20, 20 kilos attached to me and I was with my coach. And I started off, I grabbed the bar, I would embrace my breath or in like hold in and then exhale up and then come back down. And I didn't get the lift or I wasn't able to complete it. And I was spending so much energy on exhalation there that I couldn't get all that weight up. So my coach is like, how about you just hold your breath, keep that pressure inside just for that one PR max. I was like, okay, I kid you not. I did that. Easy. Done. Right. Another story. I was in Italy with my friend, uh, one arm pushup. I haven't done a one arm pushup in two years. Right. And I was doing the inhale down, exhale up, all that craziness. And then again, for a 1PR max, she was like, just hold your breath. Just like inhale, hold it, keep the intra-abdominal pressure, and then go down. Again, that push-up was so easy. And I was like, holy crap, I can manipulate my breath to get the type of lift that I need. If I'm going for breaths, I'm going into rep, uh, breath cycling and stuff like that. So um, I've realized the importance and teaching the importance of it now now I'm getting into the details of when do you breathe based on your skeletal structure and what part of the movement. So if you're in more of like an exhaled state or if you're in more of an inhaled state, you can actually manipulate how you breathe and when you breathe to get more expansion in your anterior versus your posterior rib cage and all that stuff that's going to make your lift better, which may be different than mine or yours because our body composition is different. 
but that makes a difference. And that's really important. So it's very detailed stuff, but... This is all so, so, so interesting. And I love that we're diving into this even more because people might be listening like, okay, this sounds interesting, but tell me more, (laughs) right? So I want to dive in like, what does an exhalated state look like for a human? And what does an inhalated state look like for someone? Like if they're like, am I more in this exhalation state? Am I more in this inhaled state? What does that actually mean? What does it look like? Can I Mm -hmm. look at it and kind of determine like, can you walk us through? Yeah, we were just talking about feeling it. Can you talk people through something they might be able to feel in their body? Yeah, totally. So when you, so I want everyone or everyone, you guys to close your eyes and we're talking about an exhalated state person. So you're thinking of the Supermans, the big chested, arched back. They're, um, they're those bodybuilder guys, those big lifters, power lifters and stuff like that. So they have a big proud chest, shoulders are back. Um, usually your stomach is forward and stuff like that. So that is more of like an exhalated state person. And then you have those people that are sitting at a computer all day and they're slunched forward, shoulders are forward, chest is compressed, neck is forward. And that's more of like an inhalated state. And that's like the posture that you're most commonly are going to be in. Doesn't mean you're going to move in and out of it, but it's just kind of like your default position, let's say. Um, so an easy way, honestly, to determine, um, where you're at is looking at your infrasternal angle, um, which is if you touch your uh, chest bone, your sternum, and you keep going down and you go right where the end of the sternum, it gets soft where your belly, it's right at your xiphoid process. So you feel like kind of like a mini triangle there, right? So if you start tracking your fingers along your rib cage, and if you measure here, So in that triangle, the top of your triangle is your sternum bone and the two sides are your ribs. If that is really, really wide, that is more of your wide, we call it a wide ISA, right? And that is more of your exhalated state people. If you're more narrow, which is less than 90 degrees, which is me here, you guys can see, I know I can see there you're more of an inhalated state. So that's like the easiest way to measure. And that's what I do with my clients. I just like, and they think I'm really weird. They're like, why are you having me put my hands on my rib cage? But it's a quick way to measure. And you can do this um, easily um, right now, right now, as you're listening, you can just kind of see how wide or narrow your triangle is at the bottom of your sternum. And then you can tell between the two. Yeah, that's huge. Now, what does someone start to do if they're starting to feel this. And I think it's hard to also understand it like from 90 degrees. How do I really know (laughs) what 90 degrees looks like? And is it just like if I feel that that kind of angle there and my hands Mm -hmm. are separated more, Mm -hmm. maybe that's more of that expanded angle. Rather, if my fingers Mm -hmm. are kind of closer together when I'm feeling that, Mm -hmm. that's less than 90 degrees. Can we kind of break it down a little easy that way? Yeah, exactly. I mean, like you can, if your fingers are essentially are touching each other, when they're touching the rib cage, you're more or less going to be narrow. Or if they're not touching each other and a little bit out wider, then you're more or less likely wide. Or you can think of it as if you want to use an analogy of a skinny slice of pizza versus a very, very wide slice of pizza. If you place it up here, do you have a wide slice of pizza or do you have a very skinny mm. slice of pizza? 
pizza. So I think that's probably the easiest way to see and visualize and understand what the angle should look like in each state. And why is this important for people to understand? This is, it's important because essentially it gives you an understanding of where you are in like, what's your default position. So do I have, so let's talk about diaphragm in an inhalated state. I am more easy for me to exhale out and it's hard for me to inhale in because I'm already in an inhaled state. Mm -hmm. So that can actually, you can change how you move and how you breathe to benefit your movement patterns, right? If you're in a more exhalated state, then it's going to be a little bit easier for you to inhale versus exhaling out. So I would focus on more inhale maneuvers and mechanisms for those exhaled people. Because ultimately, it's a spectrum, right? If you're more of an exhale part of the spectrum, I'm going to try to get you more of an inhale so you can go in between back and forth and vice versa. So it's not like a diagnosis. It's not you know, this is the end all be all, but it's more or less just knowing where your default positioning is, and how we can kind of increase that range of motion, increase that range of breath work. And when you think about that is your diaphragm, right? Your diaphragm is a muscle. And essentially, when I'm talking about an exhaled state, your diaphragm is in more of a, like, like, long, elongated state. So it's a little bit more flat, right? So if you're trying to get it more flat, but it's already flat, how can you get it flatter? You got to round it again by inhaling it and then going back down. So I'm just increasing that range of motion in your diaphragm. Ultimately, that's what it is about. So if we figure out where we're at on this spectrum, then I'm sure it's going to help us drive our movement. Or like you said, maybe how we're breathing while we move. Is there an easy example of like breath during movement or breath, you know, while someone's doing a movement that you'd be able to talk us through? To be able to kind of like if someone's trying to go through something at home? Yeah, I would um, honestly just make it easy and have you lie on your back. And just simple working on full inhalation and full exhalation. So you're working the muscle so it's getting in its full range of motion. So that's the first set. It's almost like a reset thing. Hmm. You get the full range of motion and then you take that and apply it to whatever movement you want to do. I think for anyone that is the first step. And then you can get into movement pattern details of when I want you to inhale in a deadlift versus exhaling in a deadlift. And this is just talking about rib cage. We didn't even get into pelvis, but like we can't forget about the pelvis and I'll just leave it like that. But, you know, your pelvis also, your sacrum mutates, counter mutates. And I know basically it moves forward and moves back based on your breath. So it's, it's a very complex thing, but I would start off just putting someone on the back and just getting into full range of motion, deep breath in, deep breath out, and then starting the session or starting movement. And you'll notice that alone will make a difference in your movement patterns. Yeah, I think just coming back and bringing awareness to that is, it's huge. It's everything. And we talk about it a lot. I think it can get really confusing for people to under, like, even like you were saying for your pushups, you hold your breath. Well, how do I know when to hold my breath? How do I know when to use my breath? And I think it mm-hmm. can get really confusing. So beyond now that we have this understanding of the rib cage and what we need to be doing and kind of going into some positioning that you recommended, can you touch on the pelvis for just a little bit? Because I know you show that a lot on your Instagram, like, here's my rib cage, here's my pelvis. Now, what does that mean? What And why is that important? To keep it very simple is ultimately you want your rib cage stacked over your pelvis. Well, what does that exactly mean? The easiest way I like to teach it is those two bony aspects on the front of your hips. 
you if you kind of feel for it, they're called your ASIS, which is anterior superior iliac spine. Just know that they're two bony aspects. If you touch them right now in a standing position, are they kind of facing down? Are they kind of facing forward? Are they facing up, right? So then you take note of that and then you touch your sternum bone. And does that sternum bone kind of face a little bit down? Does it face up or does it face forward? And ultimately a stack position is if that sternum bone is facing forward as well as those two bony aspects are facing forward, all right? So that more or less puts you in a neutral position. And that neutral position is important, especially with starting off in movement. Do you want to think about your torso as a hose, right? And if the sternum and rib cage is not aligned and stacked, it's almost like causing a kink in the hose, right? So that kink in the hose is going to uh, disrupt the movement of airflow between your diaphragm and your pelvic diaphragm. And if you more or less kink that hose, you're not going to get the proper pressure movement through that in movement. So what happens when that hap- when that goes wrong or when it's kinked is that you're going to get increased stress in some areas, in some ligaments, some muscles, and decreased stress in others. So it's not going to be as efficient or an optimal, optimal sorry, uh, positioning and movement if that is kinked. So what we try to do is to unkink it into a nice stacked position or opening up that hose. So now we're moving through space with that open airflow of going from the, you know, the lung, um, the um, thoracic cavity and the abdominal cavity into the pelvic floor. And now you have this beautiful connection of airflow and movement. And the easiest way that I understood this was someone said that your body is essentially just like a pumping system. It just pumps blood and air throughout. And we can manipulate that based on A, our breath, and B, our positioning. So that is why it's important. And, you know, especially let's give it, for example, in squatting. If we cannot control our pelvic floor at the bottom of our squat, then you're at risk for prolapse. You're at risk for all these other issues and pelvic pain and all that stuff. And we don't want that through movement. We don't want that with lifting because that's going to decrease our compliance with working out. So if we're able to teach that properly and to have a positive experience with lifting, then bam, you know, you're going to continue to move and you're going to continue to get healthier, stronger, better. Yeah. I like talking about that as those two diaphragms, you know, your respiratory and your pelvic diaphragm and just their relation to each other. And understanding that first you know it kind of goes along with understanding where that sternal angle was at and it kind of goes into in general understanding if you're more in that inhalated or exhaled state um and all those things and i love actually referring to the body as the pump too because it's like if you're trying to get fuel through a car and you put some kinks in the hoses and you like throw some rocks in the gas tank every once in a while, you know, all the, all the, those analogies, like the car's not going to run as well. And when we can manipulate how we get our fuel through our body, it just helps us those end state symptoms. It helps us provide a so much better environment for the whole body to operate. Mm-hmm. So, Hold on. you know, talking about the pressure system, the body pumping, you know, we're really talking about how do we create that stable pressurized core? You know, you talked about movement and squatting. So, is that mm-hmm. why it's so important to be aware of our pelvis and ribcage relation and our breath once we start doing 
more loaded things like kettlebells or loaded movements? Absolutely. Yeah. Because if you're going, let's say for like strength and wanting to like lift a heavy weight, you're going for a PR that hundred percent matters because that will make or break your movement. Right. Um, when you go into actual pain and therapy, if you lack that understanding, I guarantee that you're going to have a, putting a lot of stress on your lumbar spine because our lumbar spine takes a lot of brunt when we don't have activated pelvis, glutes, hamstrings, core. So then you're going to have low back pain. And you don't want to have that position and low back pain when you have 500 pounds on your back. Trust me. <laughs> Been there, so, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so it matters. Yeah. 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 No, and this is so incredibly important for people to hear and and learn. And, and you show it so well on Instagram. So again, people go listen and go look at her Instagram because she literally breaks it down for how this stack can look like and then how you can bring it into your own body. And so I really appreciate that you do that because all too often on Instagram, I'm seeing, you know, it's, it's you want the booty pop, right? So I'm going to open up my back as much as possible and I'm going to extend into my upper back so that I keep this good alignment as I go into a squat and you're like the whole stack is no longer in place anymore and I see this happening a lot even from you know a lot of trainers and so how do we start to become aware of this how do we start to bring this in and really understand why it's so important mm-hmm yeah, you know, it's it's understanding your why. I think it always goes back to that. Like, why am I filming this video? Am I doing it for just to look good? Or am I doing it to actually be a better mover? And ultimately, that's what I think of when I'm filming my stuff and when I'm going. And I always look at, I know what you're talking about, the videos of, you know, the anterior, the pelvis tipping forward and coming back out. And my question is, is A, do they just not know better? Do, are they doing it purposely or is it just about like just doing the video to make it look good so they can get more likes, you know? And I don't know the answer to that, but ultimately I question everyone who does that, no matter if it's, you know, proper form positioning, why are you putting up something? Why are you posting something? What is your goal behind that? Are you trying to educate, teach, inspire and all that stuff? And I think once you come down to the why, then you'll have more of an answer of how can you help change and fix that if it does need change and fixing. You know, if they don't educate and they don't know, then okay, let me teach you and educate you and teach, you know, um, so you can understand why this may not be optimal for your movement pattern and this may be better, you Mm -hmm. know. And, you know, when it comes to that, the person has to be open and available, realizing they have to see the problem before they can you know, and that's just another like rabbit hole you can go down. But I think it comes down to your why. And I think that that's a a fair thing to delineate because some people really have great intention and some people really want to just get people healthy and get people information. And they just may not be aware that things they could be doing are could be done a little more optimally. Um, And not to say that certain movements are bad, but certain movements done certain ways can definitely put you at risk of injuries. (laughs) And so um, just getting good information out there. And that's why I appreciate a lot of what we've talked about is education. And you're so passionate about the education bit, making that accessible to people, not only to rehab or recover from sickness, but to then optimize health movement so that we can move through our worlds a little bit more optimally. I mean, we mentioned your, your Instagram, so people need to go check that out. Can they find more information about you, what you're doing, things you've put out? 
Yeah, definitely. Um, my Instagram is like my main source. And then, you know, I also have a website, which on my Instagram, there is a direct link to there. And you can see more details about me, my background, education, what I have going on. Um, actually just launch an app. And the really cool thing about this, it's a team approach app. So ultimately, it's a monthly subscription and you just, um, you know, sign on and we start a program together. So everyone in the team is doing it together that has direct feedback with me. So any questions on alignment positioning, I'm right there answering them. So they get the access to the detailed videos that I show. So I'm not just telling you what to do, but how to do it. And then you get to ask me questions. So it's it's really cool. And I found it a way to be able to get myself out to more people to teach and educate while we're having fun and growing a community together. Um, so I think that is a really cool thing that I just recently offered um, just to make me more accessible. Because ultimately, my question to myself was, how can I be more accessible to people? Mm. And this is one of the answers. That's so cool. And where could people find that again? So if you go on my Instagram, S-C-I-A-C-C-I-A, there's a direct link right in my uh, profile. You can see it's literally join Team Siasi. <laughs> Pretty straightforward. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. That Congratulations on launching that too. And the accessibility to people again with your education is going to be so, so helpful for people. And guys, if you've ever looked at kettlebells, wondered about kettlebells, especially if you're a female who's been a little hesitant, like Sam is such an incredible teacher and someone who's helped me a lot along my journey of learning too. So thank you, Sam, for everything that you're doing and your the work that you're putting out, the knowledge that you're sharing. It's constant. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. And I'm super grateful because I get to learn from it a lot too. Yeah. You know, and uh, thank you guys for just allowing me to be on here and just to like spread the good word more and more. You know, that's what it's all about. Totally. All right. Well, we will talk to you soon, I'm sure. And I can't wait until I can see you again. (laughs) And there we have it. Yet another amazing guest on the Optimal Body Podcast. So now what we ask of you, if you loved any bit of that or resonated with it, go share it out, share it with a friend, share it on your social media, because you know there are more people out there that would resonate with it just the same. Also, subscribe, rate, review on your favorite podcast app so we know what you want to learn or other guests that you think we should bring on for you in the future. Keep tuning in to find your optimal body.